Good afternoon. How are you? You better all say blessed. This is Father Larry Richards, and you're watching Anchored in Hope. We are a weekly podcast where we focus on people's questions and we answer them as best we can, and we try to keep the focus on Jesus and him being the reason for our hope and instilling hope in people. So the purpose and hope of all this is that you come and you listen and you get inspired to come closer to Jesus and get your hope and find your hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? So the first thing we got to do, of course, is pray. So let's begin. And in the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful that you, our holy God, would be present to us no matter where we are, knowing that you love us and that you care for us and that you live inside of us since the moment we were baptized. Jesus, help us to focus on you and not ourselves, to focus on living your will and not living our own will. We beg you these things, Lord Jesus, in your most holy name, amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, the thing that we do here is that you get to write questions on uh, YouTube on the side, and then I get to, uh, uh, I'll answer them as best I can. We also have uh, email questions that people have asked us uh, to answer, so I'll try to do as best as I can. There's a couple things from past uh, that I want to answer now. A couple weeks ago, someone asked me where we get the name where Easter means, and I was like, uh, I don't know. And so then I went and I looked it up. And it's interesting because a lot of people says it's just from Pasch, you know, that the Paschal uh, event in, in Europe and that. But the word Easter doesn't come from there. It's interesting that the very word Easter, it's a very old word, but it deals with Easter comes from an older German word for East, or which comes from an even older Latin word, Dawn. In spring dawns, mark the beginning of days that will last the nights, and those dawns erupt into the east. And so the basic logic seems to be spring, sun, dawn, east. And again, in the early church, what the church would always do is we would uh, focus, fo uh, uh, focus on the east because Jesus rose, and so we're always looking for the resurrection. And so now again, that's the where how the... Uh, the English church brought that over to be part of the resurrection is what it says, but I had never known that before. But thank you for asking that question and thank you for making me look it up because I thought, look, I'm a Christian for 61 years and uh, I never knew that. I've been a priest for 32 years and I never actually, I know what Easter means. Of course, Easter means we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but where did the word come from and what does the word mean? Where is the uh, history of it? So that was interesting. So uh, thank you for making me do that. The second thing that someone made a lot of comments on, I happen to see it today, the, on my uh, thing about discerning God's will. And again, uh, when people are nasty, I just hide them from the, the channel because I'm tired of dealing with nastiness. You know, it's one of these, um, something I saw on the internet that I, I, I just kept for myself because I was like, you know, 
that's just so true. And I just don't want to deal with this stuff as I've talked about before. And uh, it's just something here. It says, I'm so tired of people running around with a mouthful of scripture and a heart full of hate. I'm so tired of people running around with a heart full of scripture. I mean, a, a mouthful of scripture and a heart full of hate. And that's what this guy was coming at. He was uh, on my case because when I talked about, you know, again, our guy Vince has been putting out little uh, parts of what I say here and putting it out. And so one of the things was, how do you know God's will? And I talked about wanting to uh, living God's will. And he said, oh, that's just a bunch of la-la stuff. And, and that's new stuff. That's charismatic. That all goes to the feeling and how you feel about something. And people of God, let me be clear. I'm the last one to talk about how you feel. Peace isn't a feeling. You know, when Jesus sat there and uh, he said, your will be done to the Father in the agony in the garden, he wasn't all peaceful, a feeling of peace but he had that surrender of peace when he said yes to the Father's will. And so, and he says, this is all new stuff. The Sermon of Spirits comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola, and he was the first one to really focus on, you know, uh, how to discern God's will and what's of the good spirit, what's of the evil spirit. And uh, so when people are just nasty, all I'm trying to do is help you to know God's will, to live God's will. And I think that a lot of people react to things, but once you come to truly know the love of God, now you have a different heart. And even if you disagree with somebody, you can disagree with them in a way that isn't hateful, that isn't like, oh, you know, the last, like four things in the last one was, oh, Father, I don't have peace about what you said. <laughs> okay, aren't you good? God bless you for being such a holy man and different things. So please, let's stop doing that kind of stuff. We can disagree, but we can disagree respectfully with one another. And again, if people aren't willing to respectfully disagree or say, Father, how about this or questions, then I'm just not going to be bothered with people and having them stay on my stuff because all they do is uh, bring more division. And again, division is not from God. It just isn't, especially in his church. Now, there'll be some division between us and the world, but in the church, that shouldn't be. We should respectfully deal with one another. And in fact, isn't it interesting that St. Paul says we should think respectfully of, in Philippians chapter 2, of other people is more important than us. And so that's all the way. And sometimes I don't do that myself either, as we all know. But it got to be something that we're working towards and hoping to, to do more and more of, okay? So let's go to the live things here now, okay. And um, I am anchored in hope. Good stuff, Deanna. I, it says you got vaccinated early. Have you heard how long it lasts if there's a booster shot? They say a booster shot's coming maybe in November. I'm not sure. I haven't followed that much. Uh, but those of you who, if you just notice, like we're going into October, those of you who want to come to Italy with me, one of the things that the European Union is saying, if anyone goes to 
uh, Europe, we're welcome to come in this summer, but you're going to have to have proof of your vaccination. You know, it's just like, and again, this isn't me. I'm just telling you what is necessary to get into the European Union. So Italy's one of those places. So if you're interested in going, we're going to be able to go, but you're going to have to have a vaccination. You're going to have to have proof of the vaccination. That's just from them. Um, and, and so just to, to let you know that. Okay. Father Tom, wonderful. I'm, I, sometimes I skip things on purpose. Um, Father, talk about the holiness of the tabernacle. Well, of course, the tabernacle is the place where we keep God in his Eucharistic form. And I, let me go back. I mean, they even say that we keep God, you know. We can't keep God. God is bigger than the universe, beyond every universe. God is there. And yet Jesus has humbled himself and promised to stay with us until the end of time. And so he stays with us in a tabernacle. And again, it's very much like in the Old Testament where they had the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. It was called the, the wisdom seat, and God was thought to have come and sat there. And so you couldn't even go near the Holy of Holies except the high priest once a year after fasting and praying and being cleansed and everything else. He'd go into the Holy of Holies. Um, but most of the stuff was done outside, you know, and so it's a place where God is, and Jesus is God. The difference, of course, between this Holy of Holies is Jesus, who is God, made his tent among us or dwelt among us. And the tabernacle, God still chooses to dwell among us, and it's the place where God dwells. But again, if you've heard anything from me throughout these years, we got to remember that God dwells in us, that we too are tabernacles. Just as in reality, if you receive communion on Sunday, you became the very tabernacle of God. Most tabernacles, uh, well, not most, but the oldest traditional image on a tabernacle is the Annunciation. Why is that uh, the most traditional image? Uh, on every tabernacle, on a lot of the tabernacles, is because Mary became the first tabernacle by saying, fiat, your will be done to the angel. So God took up residence inside of her, Jesus in her womb. And again, Jesus does the same thing inside of you and me from the moment we were baptized. Paul talks about it explicitly when he calls us temples of the living God, meaning that we are the place where God dwells. And I really don't think a lot of Catholics get that. They think that God's only in the tabernacle, and what the problem is is we leave God in that tabernacle instead of focusing on the reality that we're called to take Jesus with us wherever we go. So the purpose is to show the world Jesus living inside of us and get out of the way. The problem is, is we focus so much on ourselves and our wants and our needs that we want people to know uh, what we believe about things and what we think about things instead of letting people see Jesus. But there's one question that people ask you and me, sir or ma'am, I would like to see Jesus. And so our job is to show people Jesus Christ. We are the tabernacle where God dwells. We can't leave him in the tabernacle of the church. 
But like every day I do a holy hour in front of the tabernacle or in front of the monstrance because I know that's where Jesus is and I know that's where I can see him most explicitly and most really. And I don't want to focus so often in, in, in the reality of Christ is in me because I'm a sinful human being. But that way I can keep Jesus in his tabernacle and I can go do what I want. But Jesus, especially as a priest who lives inside of me and I'm called to be another Christ to the world, but that's just not me, that's you too. And again, for when Jesus sat there and he said to us, think about what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, that's brothers and sisters, of course, you do unto me that Jesus lives in other people. And sometimes we can focus so much on Jesus in the tabernacle or in the monstrance that we lose focus that Jesus is inside of me and he's inside of you and he's inside of the poor and he's inside of the people we don't like. That, and we don't want to deal with that. Why? Because Jesus inside of you and me is messy. Jesus, is inside, Jesus inside the tabernacle is perfect and easy. And so the saints, you know, I love to read a lot of the, uh, the saints, and they would talk about the reality of Christ in other people. And if we can't recognize Christ in the poor, we can't recognize Christ in the tabernacle. You know, I'm like, whoa, these are just realities that we're called to be living our faith with all people at all times. And if you and I would really focus on that Jesus Christ lives inside of us, then we would act differently with our families, with people at work, when people are at the store, because no matter where I am, Jesus lives inside of me. But if I don't focus on that, then I do the world and I do Jesus a disfavor because I don't acknowledge his presence inside of me. And he says, why don't you recognize me inside of you? Why don't you get out of the way and show the world me? Why do you insist to show the world you? Why do you insist to have your own way? Why do you insist to keep me in a box and not take me to the world? So again, it doesn't negate or lessen the reality of the presence of Jesus in the tabernacle. But we got to remember that the holiness that God calls us to is Jesus inside of us, the Holy Spirit inside of us. Again, in John's gospel, Jesus says, you know, the Father and I will dwell within you. I mean, is that a lie? Is Jesus a liar? You know, when St. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, Jesus Christ lives inside of me. Is he a liar? Is that not true, the holy word of God? Do we just focus on one reality and all the scripture verses that deal with the presence of Christ and me and you and the presence of the poor? Are they all lies? Because I think we pick and choose and we can't do that. We got to see Jesus' presence in the tabernacle, in ourselves, and in other people. And when we do that, we'll be much closer to the holiness that Jesus calls us to. Okay? Hopefully that helps uh, in the little bit of time I get to answer these questions. Okay, let's go to some of the emails. I watched your video, Spending Time with Jesus, Praying Every Day, and you said even an atheist can pray just in case. 
Can you elaborate more as I go to Mass? I pray daily, including the rosary every day, but I often worry if there's even... The, <laughs> I often worry if, if God even exists. Are acts of faith enough? Mother Teresa, if you ever read a lot of her stuff, you know, one of her, her letters to her spiritual director, Mother Teresa said that she often wondered, not, I don't know if the word's often, but she wondered if Jesus was real. And it was more of a temptation because Mother, if you read her life, for 50 years she was almost in darkness when she went to pray. She only had about um, a handful of days earlier when she came and she got her vocation to take care of the poor where she came to a deep experience of Jesus. And so that is what kept her going when she was in the darkness. But she always acted and always entered in to her daily prayer, her time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, focused on Jesus and being disciplined. Because again, following Jesus, it isn't about how we feel as we talk about, but it's that commitment of our life. That being said, Jesus is still calling us into a resurrection experience of him. You know, I'd encourage you, if you didn't watch my uh, video last night on, uh, we just have recorded just on uh, the pod bean, uh, my homily on the novena of St. Joseph, which would have been today is April 29th, so last night was the 28th. And uh, go there, it's online right here. And it's very, you know, again, if you're going to watch the video, just skip and get to the homily, you know, <laughs> so just get there. But I talked about how the best way we come to an experience of Jesus is like St. Joseph got to spend all this time with Jesus. And there, do you think Joseph got to experience the love of Jesus? And the answer, of course, is yes. Do you think Jesus got to experience the love of Joseph? And the answer is yes. And the biggest thing was by spending time with one another. Every day throughout all these years, I've spent at least an hour with Jesus every day. And I'm not tooting my horn for that. That's not, I'm not bragging about that. That's not the point of this. I'm saying that that's how you get to have an experience of Jesus. Even on the days when you feel that he's not there, even on the days when you feel that does all this for nothing. You still know that you know that you know that he's real because of the time you spent with him. How have you fallen in love with anybody? Your spouse, your children, your parents? By spending time with them. And the problem is, is we can say words, we can say a rosary, we can say Divine Mercy Chaplet, we can say a lot of prayers without just being with Jesus. I do it a lot. You know, when I every morning, like this morning, I was up at 3.55 and I uh, spent my time with Jesus and I did my rosary and I did the Divine Mercy Chaplet and I was halfway through uh, the rosary where I realized I was going through the motions. I wasn't being with Jesus. My mind was a thousand other places. And so I had to refocus. It's okay. Being with him is what he wants. Like if you have a baby and the baby, you're holding this baby in your arms and the baby's playing with your hair 
or he's picking your nose. <laughs> it's disgusting, I know. Or he's playing with your ear. Or he's sleeping. Or she's sleeping. It doesn't matter, does it? Because that baby wants to be with you. And you want to be with that baby. When we just want to be with Jesus, even when we don't want to be, but Lord, I'm here because I love you, then that carries us through. Huh? There are times I don't feel like doing a holy hour. And so, but I'm, I was committed years ago. I said, Lord, I'll never go to bed without doing a holy hour. I'll never do it. So even if I'm on the road and I come and I haven't done a holy hour because I've been flying all day and been in airports. So when I get home and it might be one o'clock in the morning and I haven't done a holy hour, I go and I sit in the church and I pray. And guess what? Sometimes I fall asleep. But when I wake up, I don't do it on purpose. But when I wake up, I've been with Jesus. And he honors that, that I want to be with him. Desire to be with Jesus. Spend time with him in the Holy Word. Be with him, and lots of things can happen. Just make sure you just aren't going through the motions. And if you become aware of just going through the motions, just stop. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Help me to focus on you. And begin again, that's all. You know, I, the last thing I want is to sit there and like um, hold these things up that you got to be doing this. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I want us to all have an experience of the resurrected Jesus like St. Paul did. I want us all to have this experience where we go deeper. And so if you haven't had it yet, okay, you're not dead yet. That's why God has you watching this right now so that you can say, okay, God, I'm going to start spending time. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to let it, you envelop me. I'm going to spend time with you in the Blessed Sacrament. I'm going to be still when I'm there. I, like I said last night on my thing, shut up and know that he is God. Be with him. That's all. You know, uh, that's what we all got to be doing. It's, we all got to be growing. You know, we can't be where we were a week ago, a year ago, or 10 years ago. We have to be growing. So don't just do the same old same old same old grow 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 because if you're not growing you're dying i know so let's do it together okay i know you tirelessly been preaching the limitless love of our abba especially to men's conscience you mentioned the cross is all about the father isn't the cross a, a trinitarian sacrifice i was i'm talking about Yes, the answer is yes, of course it is. But Jesus in his humanity, the Father, like, again, if you ever uh, come to my church in Erie, Pennsylvania, the very center of the, uh, the high altar, the very the top of the altar, the center of it, where everything goes is God the Father, and he's holding Jesus on the cross, and the Spirit comes forth from them. So, of course, it's Trinitarian. But Jesus was focused on the Father, and he said, Your will be done, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When he looks at it and says, Father, forgive them. So, of course, you can't take the Trinity out of anything that Jesus did because he is God and God is a Trinity. But in, our, in his humanity, we can say, so when I say that there is nothing about us, or no, uh, nothing about him on the cross. It means in his humanity, he gave up himself for you, for me, to do the Father's will. When he, again, he goes into the tabernacle, I mean, he goes into the, uh, 
the night before when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he looks at the Father and he says, Father, I don't want to do this. But your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Jesus in his humanity said what he didn't want. (laughs) I don't want to suffer. In his humanity, he struggled, but he always surrendered. So he went to the cross. It wasn't about, um, okay, I'm going to do this. Look at me. Look who I am. It's like, look at how much I love you. Look at how much I love the Father. This is what I do to prove my love for you. So it's something that God does for us. You know, everything that God does as God is for our salvation, right? God doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He sure doesn't need me. He created us to love us. And he wants us to learn to be like him. And God is love. So God wants us to be like him who is love. You know, I I really don't get the theology. And even though I bought into it for most of my life because I was formed by stuff that I didn't even question. It's like, okay, yeah, I buy it. But do you believe that God created us just to watch us suffer? Like here. I didn't ask to create you, but I'm going to create you, and then I'm going to enjoy your suffering, and I'm going to watch you struggle. That's okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to make you better for it, but I just like to do that. Don't you think that would be a horrible God? The God of the universe created you and me to love us. And remember the teaching of the church? I talk about it almost every week to keep it into our heads and remind us. Who made me? God made me. Why did God make me? He made me to know him, to love him, and serve him so I can be happy with him forever in the next world. I can be happy with him forever in heaven. So God wants us to be happy forever. Now we go through struggles and we suffer, but we suffer in love. Jesus suffered more than any other person, but he suffered because of love of the Father and love of us. So this... uh, When we're called to suffer, it's a suffering of love. And when you love, if anyone you've ever loved has hurt you, is that correct? Not on purpose, but of course they have. And when you get permission to love somebody, when you decide to love someone, you know they're going to hurt you by definition. So that's the type of suffering we're called to. And even if we're going through any kind of suffering, we can, the church is always taught we offer that up. We join that with the suffering of Christ on the cross right? So it doesn't become just about us, but becomes redemptive suffering for others. Even people that are called victim souls, you know, these people have been suffering their whole life, and the church teaches them about their victim souls, that they offer up their pain for the good of the church, for the good of others, to unite themselves with Jesus on the cross. So again, God doesn't create us just to watch us suffer. That'd be horrible, and that would not be a God of love. God created you and me so he could love us, and so we could learn to be like him and to love each other, to lay down our life for each other. That's suffering when we lay down our life for each other. But too many want to just live their own will. They follow God only for what he can do for them so that they can live forever, so that they can do all these things instead of wanting to give away our life and love every day for the Father and for others. Again, I talk a great thing about this. I don't live this well, so you don't have to write me any letters and say, Father, if only you practice what you preached. Tell me about it. 
Are you kidding me? Tell me about it. I agree with you. And I pray every day, Lord, you got to help me do this. Uh, I, yeah, it's just that simple. We're all like that, but hopefully we're all going to do better. Okay, thank you that. Da, 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 da. Is it cold in Erie? Yes, it's freezing in Erie. We just got a thing that's uh, going to be frost tonight. And so it was uh, 76 to get degrees yesterday. That's why I have my Got Mary's sweatshirt on. It's, it's cold. I don't get it. We're in Erie, Pennsylvania, though. Anyway, how can we truly be meek and humble of heart like Jesus? Again, what I was just talking about was about forgetting about ourselves as Jesus did always looking at the Father, always looking at others. Uh, humility is also, it means from the earth. It's the, you know, humility comes from the same word, inter, inter, interestingly enough, as humor. You know, it's good. Like sometimes people, you know, uh, St. Um, Saint, uh, Teresa Avila, I was ordained a deacon on her feast day, and she said once, Lord, save me from sourpuss saints. You know, people would always have a scowl on their face. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, he says, all this I've told you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So we should be joyful people. That's part of humility from the earth. Humor, humility, same uh, key word or core word. It comes from the same. So it's a forgetfulness of self. Again, Christianity isn't the focus on self, but it's the forgiveness, forgetfulness of self. So whenever we're focused on our holiness, our uh, desires, our wants are getting to heaven and it isn't humility it's selfishness we forget about ourselves and we put everything in God's hands we do we, we always seek to please him in all things but we focus on him that's uh humility and again like once my spiritual director God rest him he made me say a million times not a million but he says I want you to say all day tomorrow for a penance Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto yours. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto yours. And it helps, but as you can tell, I'm still not the most humble person anyone's ever met. Again, you don't have to tell me and write to me. I know it. I'm very well aware of my lack of humility. Pete used to say, so I called him Pete, he says, Larry, if you ever became humble, you'd wear a big sign on your head that says, I am humble. <laughs> and that's about right. So we got to keep forgetting about ourselves, forgetting about ourselves, forgetting about ourselves, forgetting about ourselves, always looking to God, always looking to others, then humility comes. It's a byproduct of selflessness, okay? A byproduct of true love. Okay, this is from Lauren. I recently watched a speech by Father Larry. Could be good or could be bad. I, you should, I should read these ahead before I'm reading them here, sorry. Where he suggested put in your will, you want a mass intention after you pass away. It can help you get out of purgatory. My question is about the latter. How is it that the mass intention can help a soul out of purgatory? Are there biblical passages that indicate that? Well, first of all, a mass isn't just a ritual that we're going through. The mass is Jesus Christ offering his life to the Father on the cross. So when we say a mass for someone who's dead or dying, we're taking what Jesus did on the cross and we're making that the um, intention of that mass. So we're taking what Jesus is doing at the mass. It's a, uh, we're going right back to Calvary and we're offering that. That's why it's what Jesus does 
at the mass that saves people. That's why it's important that people have masses said for people who have died. And so I talk about that you should have that at the top of your will. The will cannot be read. No one can get anything out of it unless I have a funeral mass. Because let me tell you something. I've been ordained 32 years now, God willing. And in the beginning, everybody had a funeral mass. Now, oh, I'd say maybe... 60, 70% of people have funeral masses now. And a lot of it's because their kids don't go to church anymore. And so I once had someone who, she was a daily mass goer. And when she died, her kids called me and said, we're just going to have something at the funeral home. And I said, oh, no, you're not. You're having a mass for your mother. And they, ah, I said, you're having a mass for your mother. Okay, Father. You know, but they wanted to just get it over with. Because why? Because mass wasn't important to them. So if mass is important to you, which is what Jesus did on the cross for you, if that's important for you, you want to make sure that it's right in top of your will, that nothing can happen until a funeral mass has been had for you, period. That's uh, uh, an important reality. And uh, so it's always been taught. And so the scriptural thing of it is what Jesus did on the cross. And of course, that's everything. But the actual part of the mass is what the tradition of the church is held. Now, some people say, well, who cares what the tradition of the church is held? Scripture is part of the tradition of the church. Who wrote the scripture? The Holy Spirit? Yeah, through the church. God still speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the church, through the magisterium the Pope and the bishops. Again, this is what it means to be Catholic. (laughs) The Pope and the bishops is the official teaching of the church. And it isn't just something written from 500 years ago. It's a living faith. It's a living proclamation. And we got to remember that, know that, live it, believe it. Okay? So hopefully that helps you, Lauren. Okay, let's go to... Was there a time when Catholics were required to fast all of Lent? Yeah, in the beginning, a lot there was a lot more into it. In fact, just those of you who are older, you know that uh, uh, Lent used to be a big time of fasting. In fact, a lot of the our brothers and sisters of uh, the Marianite rites and other rites within the Catholic Church have a much stricter and deeper uh, Lenten fasting policy. You know, they do a lot more. And so... Uh, And it's a good thing as long as it's not keeping you focused on self, as long as it's emptying yourself out to you can be more focused on God and focused on others. That's what fasting and all that is most helpful for. Okay. Do you have any suggested prayers, meditations, how we can better appreciate reception of the Holy Eucharist? Just the stuff that, uh, like like when I do every day for everybody, when I say go back and close your eyes, let Jesus hold you, I want you to be focused on Jesus and his love for you, uh, then just like uh, the mystery of the Eucharist or the, you know, sometimes we can have all this head knowledge of the Eucharist and the Mass and Catholicism where God's calling us to this heart knowledge. So it has to be get here. Yeah, of course, but it has to go here to your heart. And so that's why, like, if you want deep devotion to the Eucharist, being present to him is where that'll grow most, not just reading things about it. So, and the, so the prayers that I use that are on every day on, the, on my YouTube channel under the description, it's all there, you know, where you're making an act of faith about who Jesus is, 
and this is what we believe about him and what he has done for you. So it's, it's already you're thanking Jesus for dying for you, which is so important, and then you're asking him to embrace you. So that's the, the stuff I'd encourage you, okay? Our 17-year-old daughter, oldest daughter, would like to enter the convent. We think she should finish college first. She's not very happy about obeying her parents. We would like your advice for us on our daughter. The most important thing I can tell you is that you want your daughter to do the will of God, and you don't want to stand in the way of your daughter doing the will of God. So you have to help discern that is this God's will or is it your daughter's will? And so hopefully she has a spiritual director. If she does not have a spiritual director, then I'd say uh, hold back until she gets a spiritual director and then let her talk about this with a spiritual director. And then the spiritual director will help her discern, is it God's will? Is it her will? You know, again, when people come to me, a lot of times like to be a priest, I'm a spiritual director for a lot of uh, seminarians or guys who are thinking about going to seminary. And it depends on the person. Some guys I've said, nope, not time for you to go to seminary yet. Go ahead and go to college. Uh, experience what it's like to go out there and to be with people so you can learn to then, when you're a priest, give away your life for them. Because sometimes, like I entered seminary at 17, which was quite young, so I didn't have to go out and work, even though I did before I went to seminary, but a lot of people just go through and they don't have to work, they don't have to do anything, they think they're special because, look, I'm a priest and you'll bow before me and you're to serve me and take care of all my needs, and uh, that's not the priesthood. You know, that's why John Paul, I mean, Francis gets in such trouble because like he just ordained those guys last week and he says, get over your vanity and don't focus on money. And he's saying, that's where priests go down. And let me tell you, it is. And so we don't want to hear that. Oh, look at the Holy Father telling these newly ordained what to do. Yes, that's his job as the Holy Father. And he kicks me in the stomach constantly to get over myself, to start doing God's will. So again, the biggest thing I'd encourage you to do is have your daughter get a spiritual director and the spiritual director will help her to discern what's God's will and what's her will. But if it's God's will for your daughter to enter convent, then you got a letter if you want to make sure you're living God's will yourself. But if it's just her will, if she's, for whatever reason, that's what you got to discern. And I can't just give you an answer, like, no tower to to wait. I don't know the situation. I don't know her. I don't know you. Uh, But I can tell you objectively how to best do that. Okay? Okay, let's take one from here again. My kids ask, why do we pick confirmations names? Because part of uh, when we get confirmed is wanting to be a full adult in the church. And so we get pick saints names of people who we want to emulate. So uh, I picked St. John. At the time, it was John the Baptist. Uh, I'd pick, I'd pick John the, I would pick John the Evangelist now, but I'm more like John the Baptist anyway when it comes right down to it, so it's part of it. But to emulate their life, the proclamation. You know, often people have said, Father Larry's a lot like John the Baptist because of my repentance and uh, uh, challenging. Uh, like a lot of people don't like my style because I'm constantly challenging people to go deeper. Even if I'm trying to do it in a more gentle way, I'm still challenging you to go deeper in your faith to make sure that you're not going through the motions, to make sure you're in a relationship with Jesus, to make sure you're doing his holy will. 
period. And so people don't want to be challenged. They just like to keep comfortable Catholicism and comfortable Christianity where they fit God, what they like about God. They fit that into their life. What they don't like about the will of God, they put that out of their life. But that's not a disciple. We all need to be disciples. We all need to make sure that we're doing God's will. Anyway, so that's why we take and we, like when, again, we just went through confirmation, so each of the kids had to come in and tell me the name they picked and why did they choose that name. And so it has to be something, you know, they tell me like, you know, I picked St. Francis because I like animals. He liked animals. Okay, or I picked uh, uh, Sister Faustina because she was mercy and I want to be a merciful person. So those are the things. We pick the saints and we pick a saint that we want to most be like that we want to take their qualities and emulate them in our own life or live those in our own life. So hopefully that helps. Okay. Your opinion on grandparents baptizing grandchild whose parents are not practicing Catholics. The church has an opinion, not me, that we can't be baptizing without parents' permission because, again, it's not... The sacrament of baptism isn't superstition. It isn't magic that what's necessary for any sacrament to work is faith. And so if the parents are not going to raise that child Catholic, you're putting them in more danger, really, because even though you're baptizing, now they're going to be judged as Catholics before God. And so if they're not being taught and living the faith, then they're going to be judged as a Catholic. You know, so again, so the church teaches the parents must give permission for a child to be baptized because it's their faith. Now, you can say, I'm a grandparent. It'll be my faith. But that's not your child. It's the parent's child. Now, let's say, for instance, you're a good Catholic and your, your kids are non-practicing, but your son-in-law or daughter-in-law is Muslim. And so whatever Muslims do, so he, the, your in-laws decide, I want my grandchild to be Muslim, and they go and do a ceremony with your, would you be upset as the, the other grandparent? You'd go out of your mind. Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? <laughs> you know, you can't do that. So you can't enforce your belief on that child or on the parents. The greatest gift God gives us is free will. And if God doesn't go against that, meaning that God allows you to make decisions to go to hell forever, that's how much he loves us, then you can't impose your faith on someone else and make them do something against their will. Huh? You pray, and again, so what am I supposed to do, Father? You're supposed to pray and for them and love them uh, sacrifice for them, fast for them, say the Divine Mercy Chaplet and insert their names and say the Holy Rosary for them, put them in the arms of our Blessed Mother, ask God to convert them so that your grandchildren can get baptized. And if, if you then can love your, uh, uh, your own children and say, you know, you should really have those children baptized for this, this, and this, then it's their will. And then God can work better through that than just you enforcing and pushing your will on someone else. But I completely understand and uh, commend you for wanting your children, grandchildren to be baptized. You know, uh, of course you only want the best. Of course, of course, of course. But the church does have a, a, a thing on this about the, they have to be raised Catholic. And that's why 
if there's no hope of a child being raised Catholic, if someone comes in for baptism, we're supposed to say, no, you're not gonna, you can't baptize that child. If that child, there's no hope for that child to be raised in the faith. So again, it isn't magic. It's a, it's a way of life that you're choosing that they become a Catholic. Think of how many people out there are baptized Catholics that haven't been to church since baptism. That it's nothing. Their baptism didn't do anything to them. They're still living atheistic lives, immoral lives, all these kind of things. So faith is necessary so that the sacrament and faith need to come together so that they can, that can be lived. Okay? So, uh, thank you for the question. Okay, Father Larry, on your podcast, you said Satan couldn't hear our prayers, but I just watched a conference recorded approximately four years ago where Father Chad Rippinger, Catholic authorized exorcist, said the demons have access to your imagination, our memory, our emotions, and our perspectives. Does that not include our prayers? I realize you aren't an exorcist. Yeah, you got that right. And most uh, priests shy away from any speculation on such matters. Again, I have looked at some of this stuff. Just because a person's an exorcist, you see stuff on uh, uh, YouTube and that all the time. Well, this exorcist says this, so they must be the, the they're the ones that really know. Mm. Remember a couple years ago, the, the one of the most famous exorcists in America was uh, had to leave priesthood because during exorcisms he was being uh, sexually abused abusing uh, some of the women who are coming to him for exorcism. Just because a person is an exorcist doesn't mean they know all things. Just because I'm a priest doesn't mean I know all things, as most of you would know by now. So, but the way I was taught is the devil, because he's an angel, doesn't have access to that. So if there is official teaching there, then those of you who are out there, I'd encourage you to send that to me, not uh, exorcist opinion, I'm not interested in people's opinions. I'm interested in the teaching of the church. So if there's an official document in the church that says that, then I want to know it, and I will recant everything I've said. But I need to see it officially, not someone's opinion. Everyone has opinions. I have opinions. I don't agree with you, Father. Okay, and you have the right to not do that. But if I'm saying something explicitly from the official teaching of the church, then you don't have a right to disagree with that. The way I was taught is that the devil does not have access to those things. He can only see externally. So he could see when you have sinned. He can see that from like, you know, he can see all kinds of stuff because he's with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He can see when you've sinned. He can see if you're looking at porn. He can see if you're doing all that stuff. And so he can bring that back up to you. That's why when we were taught by Father Mike Scanlon, who was an exorcist at Franciscan, he'd say, always make sure if you're going to do an exorcism that you must go to confession first because the devil, before when you start the exorcism, he'll start um, bringing up your sins. And so once they're confessed, he can't bring them up anymore. But you can make sure you make a good confession before you do that. But that was still external sins, you know. So again, uh, if there's, I could be totally wrong on this. That's why, but I want to see it official teaching. So those of you who are more interested in this than I am, because I don't want to give the devil an extra moment of my time, not even this much, not even this much. I'd rather focus on Jesus Christ. But if anybody is just so excited about that, Look it up, find that, and then send me the where I could find that, and then I would be uh, most interested in looking at it. Okay. How does one come to the Catholic faith from a Lutheran background? 
The same thing you need to go through RCIA. Uh, normally, it doesn't have to be through RCIA. I have someone that's coming to the church now that I'm going uh, through a private RCIA with them. They don't have to go through the whole process. But again, no, uh, you have to just go through instruction. There isn't that big of a difference between Lutherans and Catholics unless you get into the real deep theology about it. And just to go briefly here, basic theology. Catholics and Lutherans are the first Protestants. So it's, and it's a general thing for Protestantism, Protestantism and Catholics. Basic difference. We believe that a person is uh, justified by faith and works. Lutherans believe they're, uh, we're justified by faith alone. And so, because Luther was just faith alone, faith alone, the Catholics have always been faith and works, primarily because what James says, you need to be saved by faith and works, and uh, Matthew 25, when you're going to be judged. From basic uh, who people are, Catholics believe man is basically good. My license plate in my car says, you are good. Protestants believe man is basically evil. We're a damned mass. And so, if, uh, if given a choice between good and evil, man will always choose a good, according to St. Thomas Aquinas in the Catholic view, even if it's an apparent good. So, Father, well, what does that mean? So, if, if you kill someone, how is that a good? Well, I don't have to deal with you anymore, or I get your money. I'm choosing it for a good, or I get pleasure out of it if I'm a sicko, whatever it is. But I'm choosing the good, I'm not just choosing the evil. You know, most people that sin were... Uh, we're choosing a good. Like if you're having sex outside of marriage, you're choosing the, the intimacy with your spouse, with your boyfriend or girlfriend or the feeling of pleasure. You're choosing a good, even though it's an apparent good and it's not a good because it's going against the will of God. But we're choosing a good. So we are basically good because we're created in the image and likeness of God. Protestants believe we're basically evil because though we are creating the image and likeness of God, when Adam and Eve sinned, we became corrupt and it was a total corruption. So when a person is saved, like when a person gets baptized, for Catholic means we're totally transformed. Our whole being is transformed. Protestants believe when you're baptized, you're still a power of manure. And this comes from the theology of St. Augustine. You're a power of manure, but Jesus covers you with his blood, it's kind of like a pile of manure being covered with the snow. So all you see is snow, but still you're a pile of manure. So when Jesus covers us, when God the Father sees us, he only sees the blood of Jesus, but we're still a pile of manure. <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not good. We're not basically good. We're basically evil. So if given a choice between good and evil, we'll always choose evil. Catholics have never bought into that. Protestants have bought into that from the beginning. So when we're saved, we're transformed. The second point, when we're saved in a, a Protestant thing, we're covered. When it comes to uh, how we're saved, and we already talked about it, we believe we're saved by faith and works. You believe what Jesus did for you, and you live that in your daily life. Protestant says it doesn't matter what you do. It only matters what you believe. We're saved by faith, 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 okay? The, another thing we're different on is that we believe you need to Scripture and tradition, you know, Luther, big thing, he preached as sola scriptura, meaning that it's the scripture alone. But the problem with scripture alone, according to us in the Catholic Church, is that let's say you take something like this is my body, and you get a good Luther and a good uh, uh, fundamentalist, a good uh, uh, 
uh, Episcopalian and a good Catholic. And let's all fast and pray to the Holy Spirit and we'll fast every day. And let's focus on the words, this is my body. What does it mean after five days of fasting and prayer, we all did this? While the good Lutheran will say, it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus until the Mass is over, and then it doesn't. We call that consubstantiation. A Catholic believes that the, the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus and stays that way. We call that transubstantiation. Uh, a good Protestant would sit there. I mean, a fundamentalist would say, it's only a symbol. He says, do this in memory of me. So we're just going and focus on the memory. So we're all focused, and we all come up with different ideas about what this means. And we've all prayed. We've all used the Scripture. We've looked at all the different parts of Scripture, but we come up with four or five different ideas. So what do we do? Well, the church says you go to the tradition, meaning you go to the church fathers who were there, who wrote about this. You go to all them, and what did they say? And then that's how we interpret Scripture. Because again, who wrote the Scripture? The church did. The, the Scripture, New Testament, didn't come into existence as we know it today until about the year 390 AD at the Council of Rome. Now, there was Scripture before that. Remember, Paul was writing the scripture as he's speaking to the people. You know, the first, uh, they thought, the early church thought that Jesus was coming uh, next week. And so they didn't write anything on. Everything was oral tradition. And then about 30, 60 AD, they says, oh, Jesus ain't coming back right away. We better start writing this stuff down. Okay, and so then there was hundreds of different uh, scriptures, you know, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, the infancy narratives of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter. There was all these hundreds of uh, scriptures, quote, unquote. And so the church says, well, what is of God and what isn't of God? And then by 390, it says these 27 books and only these 27 books or what we call our New Testament, or these are our scriptures. And they got rid of the other ones. You can, you know, people find these all the time. Oh, no, no, there's another special uh, uh, gospel book they found. It's been around for centuries. But it was the church that says only these are inspired by God. That's why the church is always reserved to itself getting to interpret the scripture. So we believe you need scripture and tradition. All that being said, we really believe, all of us, by grace are we saved. We're saved by what Jesus Christ did for us. So any of you, if you're not Catholic, you want to become Catholic, it'd be best if you go through an RCIA program so that you can deal with all these various things we've talked about. And so you can really know and get to know the teaching of the church because you want to accept it fully. You don't want to piecemeal it. Okay, I, I believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. Okay, I believe this. You got to take it all if you're going to give your life to this because you're giving your life to the person of Jesus in the Catholic Church because it's his body. So hopefully, again, that helps. Okay, one more question. I got to get out of here. Okay. Yes, I'm going to have Justin Fatika. Don't worry, as a guest. Dr. Ray, we already we we did our first thing with Dr. Ray, so I, I I did the thing with him on Tuesday. So he's gonna be my first podcast where we do this together. Um, so again, I wanted to get with someone who hasn't been with me. I mean, who I've been with many, many times. So we did it by Zoom, but <laughs> within the first two minutes, uh, we lost him on his computer, so we had to do it again. So it's only about 40 minutes worth of stuff. So, uh, but that kind of stuff, all the stuff when I have guests will probably never be live. It's always going to be recorded. And, um, 
And then we'll put out the stuff and we'll put that at different times because too much, when there's two people going, it's too much to uh, keep something like that live. And so probably what's going to be happening, just to give you an idea of what's going on, is that we will have those podcasts weekly when I have guests. We'll do this uh, call-in talk about once a month, you know, to, so we can get all this in because I can't do them both, which I was hoping I could. Uh, because like the Pints with Padre, like next Thursday, we'll have Pints with Padre, but it now goes back to just my parish, you know, because they're going to come in and, uh, you know, they actually come in and have a beer and we're in a, we're in the gym and that's, so there's plenty of space, uh, especially if people have been vaccined. And so I started Pints with Padre for my parish so that they can just ask me questions about what's going on there. So this is the same thing as Pints with Padre, so we'll keep doing this, but the regular Pints with Padre is no longer going to be available outside of the parish because I need to do something for my parish just for them because, you know, I do all this stuff for everywhere else. i got to make sure that my parish is always first. Um, so that's a little bit about where we're going, okay? But it's 3.55, I got to go see my shrink. <laughs> so anyway, he's right down the road. Again, know that I'm praying for you. Know that I love you, and I ask you to keep praying for me. Again, if I didn't get to your question today, I'm sorry. Uh, send it in by email, and then if you do that, then we'll try to get to them as best we can, and I'll go through them and see where we're going, okay? The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.